Um, cool. Cool. Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that will never will not intentionally share rumors as news. I am Max. I am JR, and I did get there eventually. Uh, you did. You, you muscled through it. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Somebody's yeah. proud of you. Ouch. You know, all it takes is one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's enough. That's how low my expectations are at this point. I will take what I can get. Yeah. The fuck is... Okay. Um... Anyway, how's it going? Um, it goes. Like I said, my allergies have decided that this week's the week, and I cannot breathe. It's been great. But, Fun. But, uh, I'm okay. Other than that, not a lot of Go. personal news happened. I mean, at this point, that's that's good, you know. Like, yeah, like I don't, you know. I'm actually probably pretty guilty of checking out on the uh, the national news as well. Just being like, no, nah, I, I. So wait, it sucks. Okay, cool. I'm gonna go play Spirit Fair or something. It, yeah, and then I look at Twitter and I'm like, okay, it still sucks. Great. Good to know. All yeah. right, uh, I'll go. I'll go drink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to. You know, we were talking about is this self harm, and that's <laughs> that's kind of what following the news can be a lot of the times it's like it's important and necessary and you've got to keep up to a certain extent but like every time you look it's just like what oh god well like the thing for the last so we record on saturday morning and the thing for like the last 12 hours has been some texts giuliani leaked some texts of biden's that and I, it gets that, like, show him loving his son, and this is somehow bad for everybody? And I, I, got, I got about three tweets in, and I was just like, this is too confusing, I don't give a shit. Like, nothing's changing my mind at this point. <laughs> like, if you're undecided, right. I, I am sorry for your brain worms. Um, <laughs> and, like... Well, I mean, look... I don't I'm not thrilled about Biden. Oh no. I'm I I wish Biden has a lot of problems. There are a yeah. lot of things I don't like about Biden. There I hate the fact that Biden is of the opinion that once Trump is out of office, things will be fine. Yeah. And that's not the case. No, things are but, fucked. <laughs> but no, you know, the the alternative is so much worse and yeah. so i'm not i'm not excited about voting for biden i don't i'm not like man i can't go in and 
Uh, or I can't wait to go in and get Biden Harris into office. Woo! Yeah. But like, I mean, this is what we've got. I'm sorry. This is the, there is no way to fix this between now and then. Yeah. I wish that there, that we had tiered voting in this country. Yeah. Or like ranked choice. Yeah. So that maybe someone other could, than these two could run. Yeah. And actually stand a chance. But that's not what we have. And there's no way to implement that between now and then. Yeah. So I will, I will swallow it and do what I got to do just to get rid of And, you know, and I think this is why, you know, we were talking a minute ago about grim, dark superhero stories and how, you know, in the eighty in the eighties, when a lot of these stories started coming out, it was it was new and different to be like, yes, but if you have this much power, what do you do with it? And yeah, but like, I at this point in time, I don't need stories about how power corrupts. I just have to look around yeah. and see that that's the case like i fucking know and like we were you know like we were talking about i think that's why people are revisiting stuff like adam west's batman and saying okay people shit on this for a really long time but maybe it's okay to have it be kind of lighthearted occasionally well i mean that's a thing you've seen a lot recently when it comes to like enjoying media at least i have is the backlash against gatekeeping and all that kind of stuff it's like i actually you know dumb stupid silly things that i actually like and it's like yeah it's okay to like things and if you don't like if you don't like the thing that i like then that's not an insult to me i don't give a shit or if you don't I don't understand why you, any one person would be mad to like, like, okay, sort of topical, and we're going to get there, it'll be the first book of the week that we do, but like, this arcade story is fucking rad, right? Mm -hmm. And arcade sucks, like, or at least he did suck. Like, that was the perception, was like, this character's so goofy and dumb, and like, they did, they... In order to make him viable as like a character, they had and scary. They had to do a whole goddamn series that was basically superhero Hunger Games in order to make him like cool and like no this this guy's rad in this book. So anyway, well, and I'll I'll hold off. I'll I'll share my feelings about Arcade when we get to the book. But yeah, and you know, yeah, it's okay. We're talking about people in spandex running around having big punch-ups in the middle of metropolitan areas. It's okay for it to be kind of goofy. Yeah. You know? I'm not sa- I'm not saying, you know, like there is a balance to be hit, and I don't think I don't think everything necessarily nails it. I think that the Marvel movies are good, but one problem I have is that they do undercut the seriousness when it's serious by having snark. Yeah. 
I'm not a fan of that. Have it be lighthearted when it needs to be lighthearted. Have it be serious when it needs to be serious. But don't undercut your own seriousness, you know? Um, by the same token, you know, the Zack Snyder DCEU stuff is way too, like, God, I just, they're a slog because everything's just like, my parents were killed in front of me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and so you dressed up like a bat. This is kind of fucking dumb. Stop taking yourself so seriously, Bruce Wayne. Like, you know. Yeah. And like the Nolan things, the Nolan things had their place, but by the same token, I don't want a realistic Batman. Because no. Batman is stupid. Yeah. Like examining in... bat deconstructing <laughs> Batman and really if if you started to interrogate it as to what if Batman but real, you're like, "Oh, that's no. That's dumb. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's one of those things of it's fine for, you know, you can have drama. You can have serious moments, but it doesn't have to be grim dark all the way through. Yeah. There's a there's a balance you can hit. And it's one that I think things like, you know, Justice League Unlimited did a really good job with it, where they had really dumb stuff, but then also, like, when shit got real, shit got real. Yeah, no, um, JLU is uh, real good, and, like, I mean, because the one of the funniest fucking lines that uh, Riley, what, a C. Riley... God John damn. C. Riley. John C. Riley gets is no wait is it, that's not it. Who who was the no not John John McGinley John McGinley. The Adam? Yeah, that's the funniest fucking line in the whole goddamn thing. It's the, the, oh he's getting big. He's as large as my car now, Jerry. Uh, personally, I blame you. And it's just the way that he delivers it. I I love it because it's so stupid. Uh, it's just yeah. it's great. Yeah. Personally, I, I blame you. <laughs> I like John McGinley in general, and his Adam was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, John McGinley is basically all I can watch about. Watch, I tried to watch Scrubs again. Why? And uh, because I used to like it. I did too. Um, and I tried to watch it again, and literally the only thing I could deal with was John McGinley. Yeah. Uh, and even that I could only hold out for so long, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have any news, do we? Yeah. And that's, and that's part of the reason we opened the show the way we did is because so much of the news that's out right now is a whole lot of rumor shit regarding casting in the MCU. Like there have been a few people brought on for roles in movies and TV shows, but we don't know who they are yet. Yeah. And so it's like the only news surrounding them is they've been cast. And then a whole bunch of people going, is this going to be America Chavez? And it's like, talk to me when there's something, yeah. Tell you know, there were rumors about 
Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire appearing in in Spider-Man 3. And it's like, talk to me when there's something. Talk to me when... There's suppo- the only real news surrounding Spider-Man 3 currently is that there's supposed to be a first look sometime before the end of the year. That's it. That's all we have that's been actually confirmed in the last week or so. Everything else is just like Spider-Verse and it's just like, shut the fuck up until there's a confirmation of something. And Entertainment Weekly Canada reached out to Sony and asked them and they're like, we can confirm nothing right now. And so it's like, that's the end of it. Yeah. Talk to me when there's something. So, whatever. I'm just, I'm so tired of the constant news cycle sometimes. Oh, yeah. With this shit. Um, yeah. Comics. Comics. Uh, Marvel Team Up number 66 has a cover by John Byrne written by Chris Claremont penciled by John Byrne inked and colored by Dave Hunt lettered by Tom Orzakowski and edited by Archie Goodwin um so we left off Spider-Man had been and Captain Britain had been abducted by Arcade um now you know we were we were talking about Arcade a minute ago here here's what I will say um I like arcade in theory. My fundamental problem with him for a while had been that it was kind of the same stuff over and over again. Um, Sure. When he shows up, he puts people in pinballs, and then if they are able to escape those, then there's some other murder trap underneath and then they escape and that's it. Um, and that's, that's what happens here is that Spider-Man and Captain Britain wake up in pinballs. They're bounced around. Um, and then they're able to escape at which point they fall through into another area. Spider-Man has to deal with a gunslinging robot which is kind of lame, but also I don't think Arcade really intended... This wasn't really meant for Spider-Man. Yeah. This was the death trap for Captain Britain here. So, um, so on the flip side, Captain Britain falls through and Courtney is in a capsule prize machine and her air is running out. So he starts trying to save her. What, meanwhile, as that is happening, the room is filling up with water. So he has to either, you know, stay above water and breathe or stay underneath the water and try and save her. Which is interesting. Um, Spider-Man manages to rip out a wall and get into the various service ducts and finds his way to Arcade's uh, control room. But then Arcade is just like, oh, well, there's stuff going on. Maybe you should deal with that. So he does. Um, 
and they wind up managing to save Courtney before she dies. Um, and then the three of them, uh, like Spider-Man fucks with their computer core. Yeah. As he's making his way through and the place is getting ready to blow. Um, so they are, they are able to escape and the, um, they are found by the cops escaping from a sewer tunnel. Uh, Gene DeWolf shows up and takes charge and then she lets Spider-Man go and sees the others off. Um, so then, uh, after the end of it, Murder World is destroyed, uh, Ms. Locke and Mr. Chambers and Arcade come walking in and they're like, well, it's, it's all gone. And Arcade's just like, that's okay. We'll rebuild. Ha ha. Um, like I said, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of Um, fun. It's a good issue. Um, because it's a lot of fun. There feels like there's actual stakes throughout, uh, most of it. Um, I like your read that the, you know, this this murder world wasn't designed with Spider-Man in mind. So, like, the fact that he gets kind of generic death traps to escape mm-hmm. is okay by me. Because it's like, you know, these were the ones laying around when we, when we accidentally caught Spider-Man. And then yeah. the ones that are designed specifically for uh, Captain Britain, like the Funhouse Mirrors and uh, the... Uh, having Courtney there and like those traps are cool um, because they're specifically about him. And uh, I don't know. I just liked it. And the fact that arcades an ass, right? Like at Mm -hmm. one point he's like, and now we do the other thing. And Mr. Chambers is like, I don't think you should touch that. We, we seem to be having malfunctions everywhere. And he's like, nope. And he hits the button and that's what blows up the computers is because there's some right. sort of energy feedback. And, uh, I like that he's in it. It's a real, sometimes villains don't get a lot of like actual fun character traits. And this is one of those real, like you're an ass and it idiot and you won't listen to anybody. And I kind of dig it. Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, this isn't very eloquent, I suppose. Like, I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but I enjoyed the hell out of this, so. No, I get what you're saying. I think, so I think the fundamental issue vis-a-vis Arcade is that, by and large, you have, you have old school Arcade where it's just, he does the pinball stuff and he's got, like, the theme park fine. Yeah. And then, like, no one really knows what to do with him for a long-ass time. So when he does show up, it's just rehashing the same bullshit. And then we get to Avengers Arena, uh, he reads Battle Royale, and then he's just like, that'd be fun. And he's got a new thing. I think the major problem with Arcade is that there has not been a concerted effort 
to change up what he does over the years. You know, the pinball thing was fine when he showed up in the 70s. Yeah. But then as time passed and there were other things available, there should have been, Arcade should have been keeping up with that and introducing new technologies and new games into his assassinations. And he didn't for a really fucking long time. And so it is kind of jarring to go from Murder World to Battle Royale. Um, If that had been more gradual, maybe Arcade would have had more staying power over the years. I don't know. Well, Um, I was going to say, he kind of gets usurped by Mojo in a little... Yeah. in, In a way, in that we're kidnapping... He is hired to kill them, right? Arcade is hired to kill them, whereas Mojo's whole thing is like, I'm kidnapping you for entertainment purposes. But yeah. there's there's definitely an entertainment crossover, um, I, I think, yeah. or overlay between the two. And Mojo, you know, we don't get Mojo for another, like, 17 years. But, like, we... We do, he, it, it just, there is some overlap, and uh, I, I wonder if maybe that's why anybody came in with an arcade story. Everyone was like, well, just get all this fucking Mojoverse stuff going on. Go you could it. do Tron. You could yeah. have done an arcade Tron type thing, like where he digitizes people and puts them into a video game. And maybe they did, and it just sucked, and I missed it. But like, I don't know. I just he he could have been a lot more fun than what they ever really did with him. Yep. All right. So I, I will I will mention I did forget in recapping things that uh, the Magia who hired him there was a sudden uh, change of hands, and so the people who hired him were blown the fuck up and uh the people who are now in charge of the magia completely disavow having ever hired arcade so at the end he doesn't even get his money but he's just like it's fine i'm a rich kid i don't give a shit yeah so yeah um anyway uh marvel t you know random thought random thought here there is something interesting. There's a nugget of something there that could be done vis-a-vis arcade because I think about I think about like Bill Gates. And Bill Gates is who he is because he came from a wealthy family. Let's be real. Bill Gates was on the was in on the ground of home computing. Because he came from a wealthy family, so he had access to computers long before most people did. And so if you had done something similar with Arcade, where it was, he was a wealthy kid, um, and so he had access to that kind of shit, you could almost do like a... a I don't want to do a full-blown Bill Gatesian thing here because 
the whole like evil tech billionaire thing is I can't do that anymore. It's boring and with Zuckerberg out there as it is, it's like too real guys. But I'm just saying like there is there is a there is something that could maybe be done with that because we know Arcade is from a wealthy background. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Whatever. Uh, Marvel Team Up number 67 has a cover by John Byrne and Joe Sinnott, inked by Dave Hunt and John Byrne and lettered by Annette Kowacki. I will say up front, I think this, of the three issues of Marvel Team Up we read this week, I think this is the weakest one. Um, yeah. It's not bad. No. But it doesn't, it doesn't have the same... I did not enjoy what was going on as much as I did, excuse me, with the other two. Um, But again, like, so this is what I, for the last few weeks that we've been reading Team Up and it'll do something really good and I'll just be like, holy shit, you don't have to work this hard, Team Up. This is kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. This is the kind of book that I'm okay with Team Up being, which is... yeah. Tigra's here. Uh, we got a Craven story. Bang, bang, boom. We're done, right? Like, yeah. Craven gets beat. Uh, so, the. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that I'm like, if this is what Team Up is week to week, where it's readable and I'm not falling asleep and I don't hate it, then good enough. Yeah. But, like. Yeah. Team Up's been really good, so when we get to an issue that it's like, this is fine, I'm, it's almost jarring. It's kind of like, well, at least it's over, right? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we start with him with uh, Spider-Man flying around the city. He gets... His spider sense goes off, and he's like, holy shit, somebody's following me. He turns around, and it's Craven. Craven hands him his ass and uh, he ends up unconscious and he wakes up in Craven's fucking weird lair and uh, weird sex lair and uh, Tigra's there and he's like, holy shit, what's going on? Uh, And then he sets, Tigra attacks Spider-Man. They have a bit of a fight wherein he hits her in the neck with the chains that he was bound to the floor with, uh, which damages some part of the collar she's wearing. And, well, it's uh, like the the collar is studded with these big diamond-looking things. Right. And when the chain hits the collar, it knocks the diamonds off, and underneath are circuit boards, and he realizes that that is how Craven is controlling Tigra. Yep. And it's then that he straight up rips the collar off. Tigra is freed from Craven's control. And then she sets out to rip T- Craven a new one. Um, the rest of the issue is Craven now kind of on the back foot as far as all of this. Um, he sets off a stampede and. Uh, Peter is kind of trampled a little bit, but survives relatively intact. Um, and then 
he's able to he's able to punch Craven the fuck out. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of back and forth here where like Craven's Tiger takes Craven down, uh, Spider Man, but then Craven's like, no, I've got sonic things that you're hearing it'll fuck with your hearing and she's like oh yeah. no and then spider-man throws a ball of web at the back of his head which kind of uh puts him down for a little bit longer tiger is like holy shit spider-man are you alive uh and then tiger or craven gets up and is like i'm gonna stab these two with mamba venom and uh venom and spider-man twigs to it turns around and punches him in the stomach uh which puts craven down for the issue end of yeah uh, i like tigra which is always a weird feeling um yeah. and other than that it's fine i will say at the end of this he he talks about how craven has to learn not to sneak up on someone with spider sense and my one major gripe about Spider-Man is that, uh, well, one of my major gripes about Spider-Man is the fact that he really kind of doesn't shut up about having Spider-Sense. And he kind of needs to. Yeah. Uh, because if people know you have an ability they can find a way to sidestep that ability and then you're fucked. Yeah. Um, so maybe don't announce to everyone you come across <laughs> that you have a, a slightly precognitive ability. It's kind of like uh, Kyle Richmond needs to quit telling people his secret identity. Like, just... Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, Marvel Team-Up number 68 has a cover by Bo John Byrne, uh, inked by Bob Wachak, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Bruce Patterson. Uh, I do want to mention right off the bat, Bob Wachak does have a GoFundMe that is still going, uh, for medical bills and, uh, general help relating to, uh, some really bad glaucoma. Uh, I will, I'm going to be tossing something up on the Twitter and Facebook pages about it. So I believe that's still ongoing. Um, so if you have a few bucks, maybe throw a classic comic creator some money to help him survive. Yeah. Anyway, so Marvel team up number 68. Uh, we start with Peter and Mary Jane, uh, uh on a date to a circus that's in New York and when they're when they're looking around they discover that there's an enclosure and man thing is in there um Parker goes and tries to talk to somebody to find out what the hell's going on uh and the circus owner is just like yeah uh fuck you get out um Mary Jane is angry about the fact that I, I feel like this is slightly unreasonable. Uh, you know, he's like, 
he's like being passionate about the welfare of a living thing and she's just like ah oh, you ruined our date with your sjw bullshit like so he calms her down takes her to dinner in a movie and then he returns later as spider-man uh and is trying to free man thing uh he is confronted by a security guard and the security guards like, yeah, they caught a, the circus was leaving Florida and they found the man thing having been like burned and attacked. What? I was going to say one thing that's like very sign of the times differences thing is a seventies reader would have taken one look at this guy and been like, Oh, hippie. Right. Yeah. N- me, just because it's 40 years later and I am not twigged to those social cues, was just like a security guard. Yeah. But long, ba- long hair, ponytail and beard, it would have been like, oh, hippie, of course he's going to. He doesn't really want to have this job or whatever yeah. we end up with. But yeah, just an interesting side note that I didn't realize until I was looking at it again was like, oh, I'm not of that era okay yeah uh so the the guard is like yeah man no i'm it's cool like do what you got to do and then the uh the circus owner comes out and he's just like fuck you (laughs) and uh what the fuck are you doing put my man thing down yeah and but peter peter gets away with the man thing the security guard quits and the owner's like, whatever, you fucking hippie. Uh, and then off panel, Peter reaches out to Kurt Connors. Uh, Kurt Connors arranges things with his pilot, Nina, to take Peter down to um, to Florida to return the man thing. We find out on the way down that Connors isn't paying for it. Uh, the the guy who appeared in Giant Size Man Thing number two, uh, that had analyzed Man Thing during his stay in New York, uh, is paying for it. So they make their way down. Then something hits the engine, uh, and so the plane goes down. Peter is able to save everyone, save the three of them, meaning. Nina, this other Stan Lee looking dude and himself in a web cocoon. Uh, and he's just like, well, I guess man thing's dead, but then man thing comes bubbling out of the swamp. Uh, and so he's like, are you two going to be okay? They're like, we'll be fine. We'll wait for help. And so Peter sets off after man thing. Um, follows him and they come across a cabot like a shack in the swamp where Dakeem and Jennifer Kale from the Man Thing series ha- are tied up and uh they are being held by the demon despair. Um what follows is a whole thing wherein uh, like despair's touch causes Peter to just absolutely lose all hope and become absolutely terrified. Yep. 
um, of being hurt. Um, <coughs> when he when he grabs hold of Man Thing, Man Thing feels fear, which causes him to burst into flames because whatever knows fear burns at the touch of Man Thing. Um, and this happens to Man Thing twice, but. Um, Peter has two attempts at taking on despair. It does not go well originally, but uh, but then eventually, like thinking about how much he has to lose if he just gives up, he just goes into a rage and starts beating the ever-loving shit out of despair. Um, when that happens... Dakeem and Jennifer Kale are then able to free themselves and Peter's able to see them for that, what they actually are. Um, and they use their powers to destroy Despair's tower and Despair is ostensibly destroyed as well. Dakeem says, of course, as long as there is life, Despair will... Despair runs the risk of being able to return. Yeah. Um, because he is just sort of the, the shadow cast by life and stuff like that. Fine. Um, but they're like, well, bye. <laughs> and, uh, after it's all said and done, Peter's just like, did that, did that happen? Um, and yeah, we, we end was, a lot, we end a lot of team up a, a non-zero proportion of team-up with Peter being like, you know what? I think it's just better for my psyche if I decide none of this existed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yep. man thing. Like, that's <laughs> fucking... I, I yeah. never realized how much he just... Uh, what's the word for it? Like, the psychological term where you just... Uh, you go, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. Doesn't exist. Like, just block it. Is that it? Block. Is that compartmentalization? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Know. That's got to be close. We're anyway. gonna put that in a box, and we're yeah. gonna put that box away, and maybe I'll deal with it later, and maybe I won't. We'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I'll throw it into the ocean. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I I will say, you know, this may be. This may be the first time they've actually said what Peter studies. Because so we find out here he studies biology. And a lot of times there's a tendency to just say, Peter's a science student. But, yeah. like, he studies physics and he studies all this other stuff. So I don't know if this is the first time he's ever actually said that his major is biology. Yeah. But by the same token, that does kind of make sense. I mean, like, he's constantly having to find ways to combat not only weird mutations within himself, but in others. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yep. Whatever. Overall, not a bad run. I mean, the weakest the weakest part of this bit of team-up was Tigra. And that, uh, that wasn't even that weak. It was a solid enough story. Yeah. Um... But it, it was buttressed by two stories that I really enjoyed. So, yep. <clears throat> uh, Eternals number 18. 
has a cover by Jack Kirby, Frank Giacoya, and Irving Watanabe. Written by Jack Kirby, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Mike Royer, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by Mark, Mike Royer, and edited by Jack Kirby and Archie Goodwin. Um, what, what we have here is, on the one hand, we have Icarus and the other Eternals working with uh, the army, who are trying to figure out more about the Celestials. And uh, so Icarus goes out with like this portable camera around his neck, <clears throat> a proto GoPro. Yep. That's fun. Proto GoPro. <laughs> anyway, uh, the uh... save that for later when you're on your painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just proto be sitting there. GoPro. That's so much fun. <laughs> That's it's like that episode of Doctor Who with the weird rhino aliens where they say uh, their entire language is made up of O sounds. So it's like Joe go fro Joe do do po. And I'll just I'll be sitting there doped to the gills just like pro to go pro. Anyway. Anyway, he's got a camera around his neck and they he flies in close for a look at the celestial and they're just like yep that's a giant space god um <laughs> and so the icarus starts flying back meanwhile cersei and some of the others have arrived and she's like i'm bored this is boring and stupid uh let's have a party and so she converts the entire place to a barn and starts ha- throwing a hoot nanny, and Zeus, 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 yeah, I went full Planet of the Apes there. Zeus um, <laughs> is like, whatever, go with it, man. And the general's just like, I just can't. This is too weird, guys. <laughs> um, Icarus, meanwhile, gets trapped by Druig. And his underling, um, whose name suddenly escapes me. Um, Uh, Oh, no, I'm looking right at it. Hold on. Sigmar. Sigmar. Uh, Sigmar clearly clearly serving Druig under duress. But uh, they capture Icarus, and the the trap they lay basically teleports him to them. Uh, While Icarus is out... He, uh, Dagmar, <laughs> whatever. I've already Sig- lost it. <laughs> Sigmar. Sigmar. You know, Sigmar. Uh, Fan favorite, Sigmar. Um, well, and yeah. the, the, they're doing all of this because at the beginning of the issue, it's uh, Druig and Sigmar going back and forth about at this. They found the last time the host came, uh, they found what the... There was some dissent in the ranks of the Celestials, and one of them ended up being destroyed by a weapon that the other Celestials had. And that weapon has since been uh, dismantled and hidden. And Sigmar knows who knows where it's hidden, and he beats... Druid beats the crap out of Sigmar to get him to tell him that it's Icarus. Okay, well now we're going to kidnap Icarus. Icarus might not even... It's like, might be buried in his subconscious, so let's go... Let's get him here 
do some torture, get him to tell me. Right. And this is all because um, there's a celestial on its way to the Druig polar mountain place. And Druig's of the opinion that it needs to be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Sigmar kind of depowers Icarus somewhat so that he can't just destroy them with a look. Uh, and when Icarus comes to Druig's just like, you're going to tell me what I want to know. And Icarus is like, even if I knew what it was you were looking for, I wouldn't tell you shit. So you might as well just let me go. And Druig's like, that's fine. And so he brings in this weird sucker thing that Sigmar had created in an, in an experiment, which latches on to Icarus and starts just like torturing him. Uh, in so doing, like, after Druig pulls the thing off, uh, a symbol has appeared on Icarus's forehead that's like a triangle with some wavy lines going through it. And he's like, I know where it is now. It's at the Pyramid of the Winds. So he fucks off to go and do that, and he's just like, you worry about Icarus. <laughs> um, which yeah, One thing I will sure. say about these Kirby Eternals that I sometimes appreciated is like, there's no fucking around. We're just going to, we're going to do plot now. Like we're going to do plot and we're going to get through this book. And that's kind of, that's definitely what happens with this one. Yeah. It's just, I think my fundamental issue with a lot of the Kirby stuff is that, One of two things happens. Either the stuff that I like is sort of shuffled over to the side yeah. and never really dealt with. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, no, fuck all this. I want to see that guy. That guy's cool. Like, yeah, let's have more of that guy or 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 just just fucking. I know what you want to do, Jack. And what you want to do is just. 18 pages of fucking celestial lore. That's all you want to do. Do it. That'd be fine yeah. by me. Because that shit is crazy and I want to see it. I want to know what's in your head with this shit. Never. Or he does the thing where he that he did with the reject and carcass where it's like, oh, these are really interesting. I'd like to see more of them. And then I do and then I'm just like, not like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, or I want more, just not that. Or yeah, Athena in that one up or one issue where she was when she goes to the deviant place and is you know watches the blood sport and all that, and she's just like, "By the way, I'm going to kick all of your asses if you don't fucking quit this." And yeah, and it's clear that that's that is not a threat; that is a promise, and. Yeah. Later in that same arc, or earlier, I don't remember, you see how powerful she actually is, and you're like, oh, shit. Um, I like that. And then, I haven't seen Thena since. Yeah. It's great. It's it's wonderful. Thanks, Jack. Okay. Uh, so, Eternals number 19 has a cover by Jack Kirby and Frank Giacoya. And... Uh, Druig makes his way to the Pyramid of Winds 
and starts trying to figure out because there's all these various symbols on the walls that may or may not lead to where he wants to go. And he's just like, so which one do I use? Uh, we then switch back and Icarus starts like trying to see his powers returning, but is it strong enough to free him? It is. So then he, he grabs Sigmar and he's just like, you're going to help me stop Druig. And Sigmar is just like, I, I've tried to tell him not to do this, please. Uh, so they take off after Druig. Sigmar shows, uh, shows Icarus a way into the pyramid that will bypass the room, bypass the outer winds outside that could cut them up. Um, and bypass the room Druig is in and take them straight to the room in which, uh, the weapon is, um, at that time, Druig then works out that the symbol he needs is the same one that is on Icarus's chest. Yep. Obviously. Uh, and he makes his way inside. So then he's like, you're too late. I've got the weapon. Ha 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 ha. Icarus is just like, you're a fucking idiot. If you do this, the Celestials are just going to destroy everything. And Druig's like, no, I can best them. They have a they have a little tussle, but ultimately, like Druid goes and grabs the weapon. It's giant, but he can figure out a way to make it work since it's built for a celestial's hand. Um, so Sigmar is just like you've gotta you've gotta destroy the weapon itself, and Icarus is like okay, so he shoots it with his eye beams, and. The weapon blows up and destroys Druig as well, uh, but then starts consuming the entire temple. Uh, Icarus and Sigmar flee, and it's looking like the energy wave is going to keep spreading and keep spreading. We don't know how far this could go. It may engulf the world. Who knows? Fortunately, the celestial that was headed for Druig's... Uh, encampment in the pole uh, comes up and like provides a counter energy which stops the wave of destruction and everything is reduced to a I don't know like a uh, cooled magma kind of yeah. effect right. um, and they're just like oh. so the the very celestial that he wanted to destroy held the secret to stopping it. How interesting. Um, also, I think it's interesting and I, I doubt he'll do anything with this, but like you're not killing a celestial is supposed to, or not a celestial, an eternal is supposed to be real hard. And yeah. uh, Druig is dead. What kind of consequences is that going to have? Like also he's your cousin and your uncle is in charge of your entire like tribe like you're going to this should have consequences and it should have consequences we're not going to see him nope because this is the last here's the thing so uh jack kirby was jack kirby returned to marvel 
uh, but then within a couple of years was kind of back to where he was when he left in the first place, where he was really unhappy with how they were treating him. Um, and so he received a an offer from Hanna-Barbera to come and work for them. And it's at this point in 1978 that he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So he leaves, and that's why we've got, like, the end of Eternals here, uh, Black Panther, which we're going to be getting into here. Uh, he abruptly uh, leaves that, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those things of, yeah, like, don't get me wrong, I I am not as into Kirby as a lot of people are, but I will freely admit he was hard done by when it came to the comics industry, uh, just absolutely shitting on him. Um, so, you know, yeah, I do not at all blame him for just being like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go, you know, make some cartoons, whatever. Fuck you all. So yeah, he very much got screwed pretty well. Well, and let's be real. Most people, most people did. I mean, Stan Lee was able to make a living for most of his life. You know, he, he, he may have done fairly well by through Marvel, but that was not the case for a whole lot of people. And Jack Kirby was definitely foremost among a lot of them. Like, in that he got fucked and fucked and fucked. Um, So, you know, you do you, Jack. Go for it. Get that money. Anyway. Okay, so Black Panther number 11 has a cover by Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. Uh, written and penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Mike Royer, colored by George Russos, lettered by Mike Royer, and edited by Jack Kirby. <clears throat> uh, Black Panther is recovering from his experience in the Vibranium Mound. Uh, while that is going on, his cousin, Kanata, uh, is just like, I gotta get out, I gotta drive, you know get get the wind in my hair so he heads out and uh drives out into the edges of wakanda where there's the this is the weird thing about wakanda in this Mm -hmm. is that you know in the in the movie if you're used to wakanda in the movies then you know it's got the the uh, the holographic dome. Yeah. Uh, whereas here, it's literally like there's a panther statue with like a rock wall around Wakanda. So, whatever works. Um, but he drives out to it, and he's just like, you know, he's wanting. He's thinking about how he wants to talk to T'Challa about opening that up, opening up Wakanda to the world, and. How if they could build like almost an Autobahn through the rock wall and out into the world, they could have like a Wakandan Grand Prix. 
but then he gets abducted. Um, T'Challa, meanwhile, is having premonitions about uh, uh, these weird-looking people uh, that he tries to sneak around, but they grab him. Uh, he fights and then he falls to his death. Um, and so he, he is adamant that he is developing telepathic abilities and, uh, his other cousin, cousin Joseph is like, okay, well we can test for that kind of thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, Kanata meanwhile is taken by these guys and he's taken to this guy called Kyber. Um, Kyber shows off his various abilities, including the ability to vanish and reappear somewhere else, make parts of himself vanish, uh, and stuff like that. <clears throat> Kanata then is dropped into a cell with a bunch of other people. Um, and they're just like, man... Don't fight it. You're, you can't fight them, dude. Just, just get used to the idea that you're going to be here for a while. Um, Kanata's like, no, T'Challa will find me. Trust me. My, I'm a, I'm a ruling panther. My cousin is not just going to leave me here. Uh, but then the, then the soldiers come in and they take one of the people in the room and throw him into this chamber where he is converted into energy. Um, <clears throat> everybody's horrified, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, T'Challa, uh, it gets tested. Um, and they do the, they do the standard Ghostbusters thing of, what's on the card and uh he gets every one of them right and he's like okay joseph says okay you clearly have some esp here due to your exposure to the vibranium precognition is a whole other matter though and i'm not so willing to believe that but at this point t'challa is able to reach out with his mind and contact excuse me, Kanata. Um, and realizes what's happened. So he goes, uh, he's like, I've got to go out and find Kanata and save him from whatever's happened. So that brings us to Black Panther number 12, which has a cover by Jack Kirby and is colored by Petra Goldberg. Um, uh, couple things happen here. First of all, um, Kanata, Kanata is like puffing himself up when dealing with Kyber and saying, you're fucked. My cousin is the Black Panther. You've never encountered anything like him. There's no way you can, uh, you can win. He's going to find me and you will rue the day. Um, Kyber for his part is like, Hmm, this guy sounds interesting. Men go find this black Panther. Um, 
T'Challa has managed to convince Joseph that he is okay to resume his activities. So he goes out to the border and he, you know, he's trying to figure out in what way these these creatures that he keeps seeing have managed to steal Kanata. Uh, and he's like, the only explanation is that they were able to reach through the the matter of the mountain. Um, and sure enough, they do, and they grab him. Um, the They capture him, and he wakes up inside the base. Um, Kyber shows off his abilities to T'Challa the same way he did Kanata, but T'Challa is able to figure out in fairly short order that this is bullshit. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've got a hard like hologram situation going on, and he's just yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which is a nice... I will give I will give Kirby credit here. It's nice to have the hero realize this quickly instead yeah. of fucking around with the heartlight projection and then being like, "Oh, it's a ni- it's a nice change of pace to just cut through that bullshit yeah. and go straight to got to find the guy." Um so when uh when he realizes this, he then uh, uses his tele- his telepathic abilities to talk to Kanata um, <coughs> and get him to lead the other prisoners in a revolt. Um, Kanata does, and T'Challa is able to use that distraction to his advantage to get free of the men that are um that are corralling him and go find the real kyber um this though again jack kirby's last issue uh so then black panther number 13 we managed to wrap this up but it's with a whole different uh, creative team. We have a cover by Jerry Bingham and Bob Layton, written by Jim Shooter and Ed Hannigan, penciled by Jerry Bingham, inked by Gene Day, colored by Francois Mouly, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Roger Stern. Um, so T'Challa makes his way through the facility and finds the real Kyber. It turns out that Kyber, when he was this scientist named Frederick Kyber uh, ran an experiment that caused him to become this weird mass of a person that is fused to the floor (laughs) Uh, and so um, Kyber is just like yep this is me can we not talk anymore because this is this is taking a lot for me. So T'Challa sits down and starts talking to Kyber telepathically. Um, 
But then it turns out that Kyber was just kind of buying time. Uh, the soldiers, the soldiers are able to round up the uh, revolting prisoners and start turning them into energy as well. Um, T'Challa, meanwhile, discovers that Kyber is not as helpless as he originally appeared. Um, however, he's not able, he's, he's able to get away from Kyber. Um, but in the process, Kyber's like trying to draw off some of Black Panther's energy. Not enough to really do anything worthwhile, though. Uh, but Black Panther escapes, manages to save Kanata and destroy the machine. Uh, you, he pulls... He pulls the energy canister that houses the energy of the various people and smashes the canister, which blows up the chamber. Um, it is discovered that that is the energy of their bodies, but their <coughs> the energy of their minds gets transferred somewhere else. Uh, so he goes looking for that. Um, finds finds it being brought to Kyber and Kyber's like please let me have this they will live on in me as I become immortal they will then live forever and Black Panther's like mm, no no I don't think we're going to do that um, so he just leaves Kyber um, and leaves him to die which, yeah, okay. Like, this, this isn't as overt as, say, Batman Begins, where Batman's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you, yeah. and then commits manslaughter. <laughs> like, this at least is just, I'm not going to kill you, but you can just chill here. Bye. Well, I'm not gonna um, kill you, but I'm also not gonna help you because your your energy source is people. Like, yeah, it's multiple people. No, no, not gonna, not gonna be party to that. You figure out a different way. Bye. Yeah, and so yeah, um, the good so. Uh, this this story um this story is rough um on the plus side i don't think i think other than a little bit of time travel fuckery at one point uh we never see kyber again so that's a plus yeah there's always that um, additionally, uh, Black Panther doesn't keep these telepathic abilities. They fade in fairly short order after this. In fact, it may be that as soon as, as, as soon as they start up another volume of Black Panther, he no longer has them anymore. So I'm glad that's not going to be the case because... 
precognitive of precognitive abilities in the context of a story like this are a problem okay and more to the point having a character who has precognitive abilities doesn't work very well it's why ms marvels were dropped pretty quickly it's why rogues danger sense was quickly forgotten about it's why this was you know having a side character who's precognitive can work if you use them sparingly but having a hero who can do it i'm sorry i don't want to read that i don't well i mean it's the same problem with um it's the the deanna troy problem right she never uses her powers because if she did she'd break the story right well yeah there's always she's always she's only able to pick up just enough yeah to be able to be like i don't know there's something off here but i don't know what it is or and so it's just like thanks deanna really earning your keep there blatantly not in the episode where she would solve things in four minutes if she was (laughs) right like that's that's the same kind of problem if you have these precognitive abilities or stuff like that, you can't God, it's either gotta be your whole fucking story or not. And yeah, I, you can't just bring it up and drop it again. Cause you'll, it's horrible. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like having, having a low key prog- precognitive ability like Spider-Man's spider sense. Mm-hmm. Fine. Because the conceit I'm there okay is that with... like, it's something, right? He doesn't, it's never been, I get exact details about anything, right? It's like some shit's happening. Uh-huh. Yeah. And really it's all, it's, it's kind of a plot armor. Let's be real. Ultimately, it is, it is, he is able to use that just enough to be able to stay alive in situations where by all rights, he should be dead. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. What I'm saying is precognitive abilities where it's like, this is what's going to happen. Um, first of all, they tend to become way too navel gazing uh, after a certain, it, it become it's always like either you're, you're questioning the possibility of free will or you're overtly saying no free will can exist because we can change these things or you're saying no, you can't or what have you like anytime you find out the future, that's what you're doing. Regardless, you can't just have a precognitive thing and not address it at some point. So thank God they got rid of this in short order because I would hate reading these issues if Black Panther continued to just be like, oh, oh, there's a guy. I don't I don't care. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 222. The rest of this week is just kind of piecemeal. Um, Incredible Hulk number 222 
has a cover by Ernie Chan and is written by Jim Starlin and Len Wein, penciled by Jim Starlin, inked by Alfredo Alcala, colored by Glynis Wein, lettered by Gaspar Saladino, and edited by Len Wein. Um, the Hulk is fighting the military because, of course, um, the military, the the various soldiers are letting loose with everything they've got, but then, oh God, there are children on the battlefield. Uh, so when it's all said and done, um, the, the soldiers, the soldiers gas Hulk, uh, which causes him to start to pass out. And then the kids are like, great. And then someone named Billy, uh, shows up and he and the kids drag the Hulk away. Um, we then cut to a cave. The two kids are there with Bruce Banner who wakes up and is like, what the fuck's going on? And, uh, the two kids, it turns out are named, uh, Donnie and Marie. Um, and they talk about how their little brother, Billy is there. And Bruce looks around the cave. It turns out there's like a big, a big cauldron with like a whole lot of very human looking bones around it. Um, and Donnie and Marie start telling him the story of how, uh, they, they lived in a nice little house with their mom and dad and their baby brother, Billy. Um, but then Billy, while they were out playing one day, Billy drank a chemical from this random canister and, the military showed up. Uh, Billy was taken away to a hospital. Uh, nobody could see him. And their parents were, you know, besides themse- beside themselves with worry. Uh, but then Billy is eventually allowed to come home. But he's horribly mutated and been turned into a big hulking creature. Uh... After which they start finding, uh, they start finding random people and animals dead and mutilated. And, uh, wouldn't you know it, Billy has himself a taste for flesh. Um, and the parents are like, oh God, what do we do? Uh, we never really get a chance to find out because Billy kills them. And then they move into the cave and Billy just continues eating people. Uh, <clears throat> Banner's like, oh shit, we have to get out of here. <laughs> and, uh, and this so... is, it feels like you, you'd get about halfway through this story and you'd get the gist and you'd just be like, okay, no need to finish. I got it. Let's go. Um, yeah. You don't have to tell me the rest of how you escape. No, like you got to, uh, he played with Daisy for the last, our dog Daisy for the very last time. And I understood what was going on. We, we, we can go, we can, yeah. we can go. Yep. And so Banner's like, we have to leave. Uh, but they're cut off by Billy who is huge. And he, you know, 
Banner's just like, well, shit. Uh, but winds up turning into the Hulk. Hulk and Billy fight. Hulk, uh, Hulk is initially a little overpowered, but of course, the matter Hulk gets, the stronger he gets. So, uh, in the end, the cave winds up coming down on them. The kids are able to escape, uh, and then the rubble, the rubble starts to move and out comes the Hulk and they're like, what about Billy? And Hulk's like, I know see Billy, any Billy in there, just monster. If Billy was in the cave, Billy gone. Only Hulk was strong enough to dig way, way out. So, we, we, this, what is this story? I don't know. It's fine for a one-off. You know, it it got basically as much space as it deserved. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a nice little if if we were if we were reading a huge chunk of Hulk and this was like stuck in the middle of all of that. Yeah, this would be fine as just a little bit of a break between two larger stories. Sure. You know, okay. yeah. Beyond that, guess... beyond that, it's nothing. But yeah, OK. I just wanted to make sure Sorry. I wasn't. Was I the asshole is, is kind of what I'm asking in a. Like, what is this story? What? Why? What's the? Is there a point here, or is it just this? It's just a fluff one-off. I guess that's what it is. But like, I don't understand. They do this occasionally with kids, and it's weird. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, I think I think there was an attempt here to sort of juxtapose. Uh, sort of juxtapose a pseudo Hulk, you know, because normally, normally if Hulk is fighting another big creature, it's someone like the abomination who is a big hulking guy and also like an adult intelligence. (coughs) Yep. Whereas the Hulk is very childlike. Uh, so to be fighting a literal infant in the body of a huge monster, uh, is, I guess, supposed to like, I don't know, maybe say something about the Hulk, but I don't know how successful that is. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately I'm inclined to just say it's a one-off issue. Just read it and then kind of move on and forget it. Sounds good. Anyway, uh, Fantastic Four Annual number 12 has a cover by John Buscema, Buscema, Joe Sinnott, and Irving Watanabe, uh, and is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Bob Hall and Keith Pollard, inked by Bob Wachek and Marie Severin, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by John Costanza, edited by Marv Wolfman. Um, Johnny... Storm is testing a rocket-powered car. As he is, as he is doing so, inside the weirdly large cockpit of the car, why does it have a back seat? Like, it, well, here's it's here's a jet thing. car, and you're trying to beat some kind of land speed record. No, no, no yeah. back seat. 
There would be no, but no, no space. No, that isn't that isn't taken up by something needed. Like, but no, we have engine to have, and cooling. <laughs> we have we have to have a way for Lockjaw and Crystal to teleport in. So apparently, in the face of all logic, <laughs> this has an enormous backseat. Uh, so Crystal and Lockjaw appear, and she's like, "Johnny, I need your help." And so they teleport out. Um, she takes him to Adelan um, and explains the situation. Um, and it turns out that Thraxen, the guy who last we saw had been leading rebuilding efforts in Adelan, uh, has taken he and whoever is behind him have taken the Black Bolt or the Inhuman Royal Family hostage, including Crystal's husband, Quicksilver. Johnny is just like, oh, really? Quicksilver's uh, out of the picture, huh? And, uh, but yeah, so he, of course, agrees to help her. Um, I don't mean to impugn Johnny. I think even, I think his his initial like oh darn quicksilver's been captured is just like maybe i can prove myself to her but i honestly think he would have helped her regardless oh he definitely was going to help regardless i i actually like those beats where because it happens a couple of times throughout the story where he's just like damn it i care for her too much uh to not a not help but also like she she's in love with Quicksilver. I care for her. I want her to be happy. Like this is actual some emotional maturity from Johnny. Yeah, which yeah. we don't we get sparingly, but when we get yeah. it, it's really nice. So and it yeah, usually and the... it usually has to do with Crystal too, which is cool. Um, yeah, he's kind of an idiot with any of the other women in his life, but like when it's Crystal, he's like. Nope, not gonna do it this time, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, and I and that's the that's the thing I wanted to clear up was I don't mean to make it sound like I'm saying he's only helping her because he thinks maybe he can get back with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, when he first finds out Quicksilver's taken, his initial reaction is like, "Oh, Quicksilver's gone! How oh, how terrible!" <laughs> Uh, but, but and yeah, then he, and, yeah and like, but I also like that that is his initial reaction and that his next step after that is, oh, God, don't be an asshole. OK, let's go help. And yeah, I like he he catches himself doing it. And then it's like, no, yeah. anyway. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And so they go up against Thraxen, but they are not enough. So they go to collect the rest of the Fantastic Four. Um we then cut to the Fantastic Four and we see a movie being made about them. Uh, and the the other members of the FF are clearly uncomfortable with it. The thing that I like about this is that it is very much a... It's clearly a reference to the old Fantastic Four cartoon because Johnny is not going to be appearing in the movie. Uh they specifically say that uh 
the human torch is not allowed to appear in the movie. Um, which if you know anything about the history of the fantastic four in other media, there was the seventies fantastic four cartoon where they replaced the, the human torch with the robot Herbie. And, uh, because they were worried that kids would set themselves on fire. Uh, however, the, the, the robot thing they've built goes on a bit of a rampage. Uh, Ben fights it and they wind up trampling through the, uh, the set of the gong show, uh, stuff like that before they're finally able to defeat the robot. When that happens, Crystal, Johnny and Lockjaw appear and they're like, we need your help. Let's go. Um, so they go to, they go to Adelan. I spent an uncomfortable amount of time Googling the gong show. Fair enough. I now know, I now know more about the gong show than I did two days ago, but like, I don't understand it still. Well, I mean, the, the thing, the thing to bear in mind about the gong show is it's basically a seventies America's got talent. Okay. You know, they would have, they would have various acts come on and they, they would be rated by celebrity judges. There was a huge gong. I don't remember if the gong meant you were cut or whether you did well. I don't know. Uh, I don't care that much, but it is, it's, if you're, if you're not clear on what the gong show is, it's, it's America's Got Talent. Okay. Um, so, uh, the, they come to Adelan, Crystal fills the others, um, in on what had happened in that the black, black bolt and the rest of the inhuman Royal family were away as we covered previously. Uh, and while that happened, Thraxen was rebuilding and consolidating power, and the only ones left to oppose him were Crystal and Quicksilver. We find out here that Quicksilver was quickly dealt with, uh, as was Crystal, and then um, when the Inhuman Royal Family returned, they were captured as well. Uh, The Fantastic Four go up against Thraxen, and we we get a nice moment where there's like a a force shield up, and like Ben and everybody are doing their best to take it down. But Sue is ultimately the one who walks up and she's like, guys, I know force fields. Let me handle this. And she takes it down. I love it kind of lays her out. Her reaction is basically like, if you guys will put your fucking dicks away for like <laughs> four seconds and let me talk, I will uh, probably handle it. Cause what's my whole deal. And they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, I just, you know, I'm... We're really dudes, aren't we? <laughs> yes, you, yeah. you are very dude. All right. Yeah. Uh, so she, she, it kind of wipes her out for a second, but, yeah. uh, but she's able to bring it down. They then, uh, they come up against Thraxen and uh, it does not go well. Um, 
he he has been souped up uh, by whoever is behind all of this. <clears throat> and he's like, so he repels all of their efforts. Uh, but ultimately, part of the one of the buildings, it turns out, is actually a disguised ship and it takes off. Uh, Johnny attempts to race after the ship, uh, but is unable to keep up with it, and he goes too high. His flame is snuffed out. He is then able to kind of come back down. He's able to kind of glide back down far enough that he can kick his flame back on, and he rejoins the others. At this point... His mysterious Thraxon's mysterious benefactor withdraws the power he has granted him, and so they're able to take him down quickly. Uh, Reed grabs him, wraps him up, and he's like, Whoever you were working for wants nothing more to do with you. Tell me who it is. Is it Doom? Is it, you know, Maximus? Who the fuck is it? Uh, but Thraxen has clearly lost his mind, so they're just like, okay, well, not a lot we can do about that. So they teleport back to the Baxter building, load up in a ship, and take off after uh, the ship. Catch up with it. They're locked into a tractor beam and brought aboard by their by their mysterious foe. It turns out to be the Sphinx. Um we get a whole bunch of backstory on the Sphinx and who he was that we already know. Blah, blah, blah. Moses and whatever. Who cares? Um, he's looking for a secret locked in the mind of one human on Earth. Wouldn't you know it's Nova? Um, but it turns out that in the the whole point of this is he is using Black Bolt as an energy source and in doing so he will basically rip the minds away from every human on earth and in so doing find all the information he could need in order to free himself from the the curse of immortality okay we all cut up good so he fights with the fantastic four and it does not go well like they uh they go up against him and they get pretty well creamed. And uh, let's just say they wind up outside the ship more than once. Yeah. Um, um, actually, it kind of... Uh, like, Rich needs to go a little easy on himself. Uh, yeah. Now that, it, now, that it, we, now that we know... I mean, Sphinx actually said in that issue that he was holding back, right? Like... He was not giving Rich his full attention, like, but, again, like, the whole Fantastic Four plus Crystal get fucking creamed and end up in space with him doing pretty much nothing. So, like, the fact that, again, Rich, you got him to pay attention to you. That's pretty impressive. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Things do not go their way at all. Uh, but, uh, but as they're fighting, Lockjaw makes his way down to the bowels of the ship, finds the captive Inhumans and releases them. The Inhumans come back up and, you know, 
Triton and Medusa and the others uh, take their cracks at the Sphinx and it does not go well. Ultimately, what happens is that it is Black Bolt who fucking wrecks Sphinx's shit. And uh, Sphinx winds up uh, floating through space. Meanwhile, the Fantastic Four, who had, after they were blown out in the, it, at the end of their fight with the Sphinx, Sue was able to throw up a force shield and trap a little bit of air with them. That is now running out. So Medusa reaches out there with her hair. They drop the shield and are pulled in. <clears throat> Everybody survives. Hooray. Uh, and Black Bolt is able to put fix the holes in the ship uh, and get them back to Earth. Um, there, is a ni- there is a nice thing at the end of... Uh, at the end of this where crystal kisses Johnny on the cheek and says, I still care about you deeply. Thank you for your help. Um, a part of me is always going to love you. You're a true friend. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. And when she does that, Johnny's response is, uh, Quicksilver. I, uh, and Quicksilver's like, you don't have to dude. It's fine. Your quick, your your Quicksilver's friend, your Crystal's <laughs> friend, and I hope mine as well. And Johnny's like, yeah, cool. And they part as actual friends at the end of this, as opposed to just two dudes who are in love with the same woman. Yeah, and it's a nice moment. Um, well, it's good for both of them, right? Yeah, because that's Quicksilver's whole deal for the like the last three years is. A, like an un, a weird jealousy or an inferiority complex or something that puts him where he's a little on edge and especially about Johnny and Crystal. And like, so the fact that he was able to like, hey man, you kept fighting for us. Uh, thanks. Like, let's not, let's bury this hatchet. Let's just assume the hatchet is buried and yeah. move forward. I like, it's good for both of them. <clears throat> Well, yeah, Quicksilver. Quicksilver went from be, being weirdly overprotective of his sister mm-hmm. to being jealous in regards to his wife, and like, yeah, because among the Inhumans, he's a he went from being an outsider among humans to an outsider among Inhumans, and just really tetchy all the time. Yeah everywhere and so yeah for him this is this is the first time we've seen we've really seen quicksilver not jump straight to being a prick like he so this is a good moment for everybody uh you know it kind of it kind of puts a nice period at the end of crystal and johnny's relationship it it ends the the antagonism between Quicksilver and Johnny. It's it's nice. It's good. Yeah. A plus. Um so that brings us to Power Man number forty seven. 
which has a cover by Gil Kane and Pablo Marcos, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by George Tusca, inked by Bob Smith, colored by Janice Cohen, lettered by Howard Bender, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Now, it's been a minute since we talked about Power Man, so if you don't recall, at the... At the... Um, at the end of uh, the last storyline in Power Man, Luke flees New York because the IRS is after him for not paying taxes. And the problem is too much scrutiny is going to wind up revealing that Luke Cage doesn't exist and that then, you know, his, his past as a as a convict and escapee is going to come out so yeah um the yeah um so here he's in chicago now we've covered how fleeing the irs by going from new york to chicago not a super great plan um but whatever so he's in chicago he's on the subway and the something happens there's no real there's no explanation for it because it's not like i was kind of waiting to see if there was going to be like some tying in between this and what happens in the rest of the issue and there isn't it's just the plane, the train winds up derailed due to a girder falling on the tracks or some shit. Yeah. So Luke is able to, um, to, uh, save, save everybody and himself. And then, yeah, use an I beam as a lever to put the train back on the tracks and then get everybody out. Yeah. Um, now, I will say one part of this I'm uncomfortable with is one of the commuters refers to to Luke Cage as a black buck. And it's just like, mm, don't feel good about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm like, that doesn't scream old-timey slur that I've never heard about, but I'm just going to err on it. I don't like it. Okay, it good. Is. Um, the the thing about... I was on a... So here's the... And I mention this. I mention this because it is, it is one of those things that if you are... If you're white like me and grew up in the suburbs like me, um, you may not know the history of this kind of term uh this is actually why when they were when captain america got a black sidekick they were going to call him bucky and people wrote in saying please don't please don't call him bucky that the term buck has a lot of baggage with it please do not call him bucky and marvel to their credit listened and said we're very sorry we didn't know um, the thing about it is the stereotype of the 
buck when it comes to black people. It is it is in in the post Civil War era uh it was a term that came to describe black men who refused to know their place basically as far as white people saw it and it 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 became a negative stereotype of like violent uh black men who attempted to carouse with white women and stuff like that it is not so if like me you were not you spend a lot of part of your life not realizing that that's the case um to see it in this sort of situation is uh you might not realize that but it's really not a cool thing to do uh or for a white guy to call somebody else and i'm not sure how i feel about chris claremont using it but yeah not great i I mean i recognize i recognize that the idea here is to show that this random bystander is a racist piece of shit yeah but also chris there come on yeah (laughs) so anyway um as this is happening uh so this woman that he have he she is not on the train she's a bystander underneath but she sees him having been injured by some of this and she's like i'm a doctor i can help you come with me so she takes him back to her place uh <clears throat> We he, he flat refuses to go to a hospital, She's, right? Which makes sense considering what everything, yeah, his whole deal, yeah. Uh, while that's going on, we then switch to a nuclear research lab where there is a problem in the core, and uh, we have Will Robinson who goes rushing into danger. And is killed by the now recoalesced creature Zax. Uh, when this happens, so I guess Will Robinson is Alex's boyfriend. Um, when his no, 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 it was one of the other guys. That she had, that Zax had absorbed earlier. Yeah, that was in Hulk. Because uh, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, you know, when we're when we're reading when we're doing the show, I have the, uh, I have the wiki open for the for the uh, synopsis, just so I can remember what happens. But this is trying to say it was his, it was her boyfriend, but. No, it's not. He's just a random lost in space reference. Um, 
Yeah, the previous guy's name was... Oh, crap. I'll, I'll find it. You, you keep running down. Whatever. Um, so, Zax is recoalesced. It absorbs Will Robinson and everybody else in the uh, station. Then goes setting out after Alex. Uh, because in its previous appearance, the creature had absorbed her boyfriend... Uh, which was which caused it to develop feelings for her. Uh, so it starts making its way to her. We switch back to Luke and Alex, and he's being evasive on kind of who he is. Uh, and she's like, "Whatever, you can tell me or not." Um, when Zach's attacks, um, they the fight spills out into the street. Alex winds up trying to, uh, lead the creature away. And Luke fights it, but it gets his ass kicked. Um, I actually like that. Uh, I mean, I don't like Zax as an enemy. It's sort of sucky, but he, the way he's defeated or the way he was defeated previously was, with wire and water, right? So, yeah. Cage tries to pull the same thing, and Zax is like, nope, and like gets out of it before he can be shocked. And it's it's pretty good that yeah, you know that our our villain here is le- our bad guy here is learning when all he really does is stumble around and go brr. So, yeah, um. Luke is found by Mark Revel, who was Alex and her boyfriend's friend back when Zax showed up previously. Um, Revel is like, come on, we got to go help her. And Luke is like, man, I don't know. I just got my ass handed to me. You may need somebody else. And Revel is just like, well, we don't have anybody else. Get over your shit and help me. And Luke's like, man, fuck you, fine. So they go after it, and uh, they have a showdown with Zax. It turns out that Zax's plan here is to convert Alex into a an energy creature like it, um, and then they can be together. Luke and the uh, and Revel intervene. In the process, Revel is killed, but he uses a uh, liquid helium sprayer uh, that is able to sort of force Zax back. And this winds up being the creature's undoing because it uh, it just it affects the machinery, which causes an explosion, which destroys Zax ostensibly. Luke and Alex are then able to um, escape, and that's that. Uh, again, not a bad little standalone issue. Uh, well, standalone in that you don't have to. It didn't take thirty issues or anything. It was a one and done kind of thing. 
Um, so cool. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's again, I would question the idea of Luke fleeing the IRS to Chicago, but whatever it takes, I guess, you know, it's not like we're going to have Luke Cage in Luxembourg, I guess. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's fun, but for a one-off, yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, don't hate it. Let's, yep, all right. So that brings us to our last issue of the week, which is Avengers Annual number 7, uh, which has a cover by Jim Starlin and is written and penciled by Jim Starlin, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Tom Morzakowski, and edited by Archie Goodwin. This kind of wraps up uh, some dangling plot threads from the Adam Warlock series stories that we read, uh, which is good because it kind of dropped suddenly. Um, yeah, it fizzled a little there at the end too, and then just quit. And I, I like Adam Warlock a lot more than I thought I did. So yeah, yeah. And so, uh, at the beginning of this warlock, warlock arrives and finds Gamora dying. Uh, she tells him, you know, that she discovered, uh, Thanos's plans for genocide and tried to stop him. At which point he, uh, wounded her mortally. And so... As she dies, Warlock, Warlock absorbs her soul into the soul gem and then sets off in order to uh, deal with Thanos. Uh, meanwhile, um, the Avengers are gathered at Avengers Mansion and everybody's kind of hanging out. Beast is, you know, making jokes about... Uh, making jokes and talking about his uh, ever-burgeoning love life. Uh, and Iron Man is troubled. So Wanda talks Vision into going over and seeing what's the matter. And Iron Man's just like, yeah, I feel off. I feel like there's... I feel like there's a danger hanging over us and I don't know what it is. I, I'm i here because I feel like I have to be. And I don't like that. Um, and before they're really... His questions are answered in fairly short order with the arrival of Captain Marvel and Moondragon. And Moondragon's like, there's a reason we're all here. You know, shit's getting real. Uh, while all of this is going on, we see Thanos' ship destroy a star. Uh, he causes it to uh, age and die far sooner than it's supposed to. Um, and when this happens, Moondragon is struck by, you know, thousand, millions of voices crying out, and being silenced. Uh, and so, you know, they're overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed by this. 
it's at this point that Adam Warlock arrives and um, he explains that Thanos has collected five of the six at this point still soul gems um, and collected the energies of Adam's soul gem uh, that he siphoned off uh, and created sort of a it's not the infinity gauntlet it is his own uh, sort of synthetic cosmic gem and he is using it to go out and snuff out the stars one by one um, not the best approach I'm not going to lie that's that's going to take a while uh, even, even with like faster than light travel you're going to be at it for long time just just destroying all the stars in a galaxy is going to take you a long ass time all the stars in the universe is going to take like (sighs) fucking forever but i guess if you're immortal and crazy and in love then whatever in love with death who's yeah also spurned him at this point which is great yeah yeah uh so they're like okay we need to deal with this and then warlock suddenly disappears on them (laughs) uh and so i don't know warlock is odd in this issue because he kind of just flits from place to place and then um but he disappears on them and they're like okay well we gotta go uh and then they get a warning from uh, Starcore station that's just like, hey, we have a lot of ships appearing on long distance radar. They're out past Pluto, but there's a fucking lot of them. Um, we might need to do something about this. So, uh, they head out into space to confront the Armada and of course, at the front is what appears to be Thanos' ship. Um, they, Thor and Iron Man head out to deal with the Armada itself, and then the rest of the Avengers uh, attack the main ship. Once inside, they fight various um, various alien mercenaries, and captain marvel is just like this is uh this is not where i need to be i need to go after the um after the head dude um while this is happening warlock warlock is on the same ship i believe and finds pip uh And Pip has had his mind utterly destroyed by Thanos. Um, I did forget to mention Pip. Pip comes aboard Thanos' ship looking for Adam and Gamora and finds Thanos. And he's like, whoa, I thought we were friends. And Thanos is like, I put up with you because I had to play nice with Adam Warlock. That no longer being the case, we're nothing to each other. Yeah. We then find out, of course, that Thanos has utterly destroyed Pip's mind. So 
Adam absorbs Pip into the soul gem. Uh, and then he and Captain Marvel, who has now worked out that this was all a delaying tactic, uh, they take off after Thanos himself. Uh, it turns out that Thanos is on the opposite side of the sun from them and uh, is getting ready to do the same thing to Earth's sun that he did previously. Uh, Captain Marvel and Warlock head toward the ship and they receive a flash. Captain Marvel receives a flash of what's going to happen if they fail. Uh, and so he plows through the ship and destroys the cannon that the gem is hooked up to, knocking himself unconscious in the process. Uh, Thanos is like, that's fine. I, I have another cannon. Whatever. Um, Adam Warlock shows up and he and Thanos fight, but Adam Warlock is dispatched pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I say he kind of flits about from place to place. And then I did a, and <sighs> yeah, he gets pieced out pretty quickly here. Um, Thor and Iron Man arrive. And Thor starts fighting Thanos. Um, Iron Man, meanwhile, attacks the gem itself and destroys it. And Thanos is like, no! And since his plans have been routed, he just fucks off. Um, while this is going on, Adam Warlock is laying trapped under some machinery and dying. And that's when his past self, whom we saw previously uh, come to this moment, appears. Um, because back when it was Warlock's own book, in order to prevent the Magus from becoming a thing, Warlock went into the future and absorbed his future self into the soul gem to prevent him from becoming the Magus. That is what happens at this moment. We see this exchange from the opposite end. And so Warlock Warlock is absorbed into the soul gem and killed. And Captain Marvel sees all of this and is just like, Wow, that was that was fucking weird. And I I mean and I'm saying that. Uh, not really sure what's going on. <laughs> I love and that so, uh, Thor and Iron Man show up and are like, are right behind him and they're like, what's going on? And Marvel's like, I, I don't know that I could explain. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> The, the thing that I like about this is that this kind of cuts back and forth between Marvel talking to Iron Man and Thor and Adam Warlock waking up inside the Soul Gem. Mm -hmm. And as Captain Marvel is talking to Thor and Iron Man, he's like, I could not even begin to describe what just happened. 
if I even understood it myself. What I will say is whatever just happened to Warlock, I get the feeling he's finally at peace. And then while that's going on, we see Adam Warlock waking up inside the gem, being greeted by the spirits of Gamora and Pip. And they're like, hey, welcome. Everybody's here. We're all one. It's a great feeling. Not in a culty way, even though that's totally the way it comes across. But it's just really groovy, man. And like, so Warlock. Pip's joke, like, and they're still the same people, which is good. They're just essentially blissed out, right? Like, this is, everything's fine. We're all good. It's great. They even tolerate me here. I'm Pip. Yeah. I'm horrible. (laughs) nobody likes me but like everybody's cool here yeah and so it's interesting because like i know we've got a long way to go uh before we get to infinity gauntlet but this is kind of where we leave with the exception of uh there's an annual of marvel two and one where the soul gem appears and the spirit of Adam Warlock reaches out from within it. Uh, but beyond that, this is where Warlock, Pip and Gamora are until the beginning of infinity gauntlet. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of, even though intellectually, I know uh, I know we've got a long way to go. I'm also really excited because I know the next time we see them, it's going to be fucking Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of jazzed. Yeah. Plus, uh, I like the end, too. It seems like if we never saw these characters again, Right? Like, if we didn't know, this is a good ending for Adam Warlock. Like, yeah. I mean, I know that's not ever how comics work, but like, if truly we never saw any of these characters again, it would be an okay way for it to go. Um, yeah. And that's really rare and pretty cool in this. So I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's a yeah, good bit I of agree. arc for him. It definitely pays off all the fucking weird strange bullshit that good and bad that we went through in his book and the books before his book like all of that stuff um in a satisfying way that i i'm like okay yeah yeah i agree i uh it's a nice bit of closure for him you know, he's been kind of searching for a place that doesn't completely suck and that he somewhat belongs. And he's found it. How how shitty that it will be ripped away by necessity. But, whatever. It definitely explains... So, I've never, I've never read this before. and But I've obviously read Infinity Gauntlet because because uh 
And it explains why he's so fucking pissed. Like, at the yeah. beginning of, of Infinity Gauntlet, when he just kind of pops out of nowhere in space next to them, and or next to all the heroes that get transported there. And, like, why he's got no time for anybody's bullshit. Like, I fucking hate it here. I was happy where I was, and now I have to deal with, like, I have to deal with this. I can't just yeah. leave you idiots to take care of it, because you won't. I'm yeah it's it's he's and he's not like overtly pissed off but like the way that he's carrying himself and the way that he talks to everybody it's very like I am fucking pissed like his yeah it's very an Adam Warlock version of pissed and that it makes so much more sense now to me because I, I thought he was just an asshole right and yeah. he kind of is but like it he makes is. so much more sense now to realize that <clears throat> Like you said, he definitely did not want to leave where he was. So. Yeah. Well, and it, and it raises the question, because I don't know that it ever overtly says in Infinity Gauntlet or anything that followed. How did he become aware of what Thanos was doing? Was it him just become it because he had been... Because he had worn the soul gem for so long, was he just attuned to its use? Or did the was the soul gem kind of working against Thanos even as he was using it? And so it sort of freed Warlock, Gamora, and Pip in order to... I so, don't know. You know. If I remember correctly, it's... Um, bit of A, bit of B. Like, he's so in because he was so in tune with the gem before he went in, he's uh, he like starts noticing when things are different now, and like, it, also, there's the soul gem might be alive. Um, oh no, it's definitely alive because they had that whole back and forth on that planet, yeah. So the soul gem is alive. It knows something's going on. Warlock knows the soul gem. So he is basically like, ah, oh, shit, we gotta go. And okay, so here's a theory. Here's a theory. I just don't remember. Thanos. So the whole thing with Thanos is even though he wants ultimate power, he, he subconsciously knows he's not worthy of it. So he always plants the seeds of his own downfall. Yep. So what if, oh. even ignoring the soul gem being alive and trying to work against him, what if Adam is in the soul gem no, because of his connection to it, he is aware of what's happening and so he's fighting from within the soul gem which causes Thanos to say you know what fuck you and basically expel he Gamora and Pip from the soul gem ostensibly so that he doesn't have them working against him and he figures they won't be as big a danger outside of it but in so doing he sows the seeds of his own destruction that makes sense. Yeah, I'm okay know. with that. This is purely conjecture. Oh, yeah. So, 
Oh, shit. My bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Have to uh, have to see if I can, like, email Jim Starlin and be like, hey, random dude here. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, not a not a bad end of the week. All Top right. Five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top 5. Top 5. Uh, for me, uh, number 5 this week. Let, let's just put this experience in a box and never think of it again. We, it, as Spider-Man's coping mechanism for all for some of the weirder shit that he's ever seen. Especially if it's supernatural or time travel or whatever. He just is like... Yeah, no, I'm not going to think about that. Nope. All right, fine. Uh, number four is uh, Sue taking down the force field. And it's really the way that she, like, leads up into that with the, boys, if you would put your dicks away and let me work, I could, like, probably get this handled. Um, number three, uh, Johnny's growing emotional maturity. Because... He, he did a lot of good work this week. Um, number two is just, I enjoyed the shit out of Arcade and everybody can shut up. Um, it was fun. I haven't, you know, it doesn't feel played to death yet. Um, I, I liked it. And then uh, number one really is the, the closure for Adam Warlock in Avengers Annual because... It just did a really good job of tying all of that together in a way that, A, I kind of never expected to get, but B, it just, it worked really, really well, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So, that's yeah. me. Yeah. Um, well, for me, some of it's similar, some of it's not. Uh so number five we didn't really mention it but in avengers annual beast kind of gets put in his place because he's kind of joking around and being cynical about like a lot of what's being said uh and adam warlock is just kind of like yeah i get it you you think you know everything but you really don't I've seen a hell of a lot more than you have. And certainly at this point, he definitely has. Beast later? Maybe not. But Beast at this point has still... He's had odd adventures. You know, certainly with, like, uh, the the Stranger and shit like that. But this this Beast has not had, has not had as many galactic adventures as he will later. And so, like, he's over here showing his entire ass. Yeah. And Adam Warlock's like, shut the fuck up, little man. Mm-hmm. Um, number four is uh, the guy with cosmic awareness just being like, that was fucking weird. <laughs> hey, Marvell, what happened? Uh, uh. Something. <laughs> Something. I. So, 
Whew. There were two uh, Ad- for a little bit there. There were two Adam Warlocks, and then there were no Adam Warlocks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of them looked like he got absorbed into the other one. I don't know if that's good. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> They're all yeah. just like. And again, with a well, let's kick the can down, the, kick that can down the road. Is very, they're just like, okay, well, since it was too weird for you to work out what it was, let's just go help the others fight the the armada. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we should just do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number three uh, is the despair versus Spider-Man and Man thing. Um, we get a we get a really another really good look at you know spy into the spider verse did a really good job of saying what makes a spider man woman or other is you get knocked down you get back up right and this is a perfect distillation of that he's going up against despair and Every time he despairs so much as touches him, he wants to curl up into a ball and make the pain stop. Yeah. But he gets up and he just lays despair the fuck out. Um, likewise, you know, Man-Thing's, Man-Thing's whole thing gets turned against him. And that was really cool, too. So, Yeah. Number two is Arcade. Uh, I think we outlined in the episode why. Um, and number one is, yeah, Johnny and Pietro at the end of that Fantastic Four annual was just really nice. Uh, just a, a nice moment between two guys who have no reason to get along. Um given that, you know, a woman, a woman that they both love, uh, one is, one is jealous and the other is pining. Uh, but in the end, you know, they, they come out of it and they're just like, this is really dumb. And I realize now that toxic bullshit aside, like we're friends. It's fine. Yeah. You know, and uh, I really, I really liked that. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, next week, actually, I think next week we start with that Marvel two in one annual that I was talking about, where, uh, where it is the Adam Warlock is in the Soul Gem, um. So we start with that, and then the rest of the week is Doctor Strange and Defenders. So, uh, I will say, I don't think... I did make it slightly shorter next week. It's only 14 books, but again, it has two annuals in it, and that's my bad. Oh, that's okay. So, sorry. But, uh... So, in the meantime, though, um, like us on Facebook, follow us both individually and at Watcher's Guide MU. 
Visit our website at watchersguide.com or email us at watchersguide@gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you listen to us because that'll get us in front of more people. And uh, have a marvelous week. Bye. Bye.